Hi everyone, welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to next year's Oscars. I'm Nick Rookrout. And I'm Sophia Simonello. And today was just going to be about Asteroid City, and we were going to celebrate Wes Anderson and his filmography, <laughs> and then it turned into us both seeing past lives and loving it and needing to talk about it. So we'll be talking about Asteroid City and past lives, how they've been doing at the theaters, and we'll be giving reviews for these Yeah, I'm excited to talk about these movies today. I think June has given us a number of really strong movies so far, and I think let's get right into it. So first we have Asteroid City. This is the new Wes Anderson film. Description here, the itinerary of a junior stargazer space cadet convention organized to bring together students and parents from across the country for fellowship and scholarly competition is spectacularly disrupted by world-changing events. This was directed by Wes Anderson. It stars Jason Schwartzman, Scarlett Johansson, Jeffrey Wright, Adrian Brody, Tilda Swinton, Tom Hanks, and more. This premiered in competition at Cannes. You saw it at Cannes and talked a little bit about it on our Cannes recap episode. Did you mm-hmm. see it again after that, or is are you one and done with Asteroid City? I did not see it again. I've kind of fallen a bit since I've seen it too. And I've read quite a few reviews. But this is just very mid-West to me. I know it's really involved. And I think it is deeper in a lot of ways than most West films. Or I think he's kind of Mm -hmm. going back to his roots with the Royal Tenenbaums or the Life Aquatic and how he develops those characters there. And we talked about The French Dispatch two years ago, and we weren't really high on that either. And it's funny because I'm still higher on Asteroid City than I am with that, but I will probably have less to say. There are elements that I do like, but I Uh guess how did you feel about it? Because you saw it recently and you kind of went in with my downer attitude on it (laughs) or my hesitations. (laughs) Well, I went in with your hesitations, but you also said that you thought I would really like it. So I was really curious about that and how it would shake out for me. I will say that during the viewing experience, I was not sure how to feel about what I was watching. (laughs) But in the days since watching it, I can't really stop thinking about it. It's really woven its way into my brain. And I think it's my third favorite Wes Anderson movie. I think it's one of his best ones. And I am not the biggest Wes Anderson fan. A lot of times I find his movies to be very beautiful and very stylishly designed. And I love getting swept up in those worlds, but I don't really feel anything from it. And I am a feeler when it comes to watching movies. I really am. I, I love having a film just take over and surrendering to it. And his films don't, give me that opportunity always because, you know, I find sometimes that the performances from his actors feel very mannered and curated in a way that feels, I don't know, sometimes I think it feels like he has so much control over everything and you can see that control and that's not as fun for me. It's in a different way though than directors like Kubrick or Fincher who have this laser focus and precision over their their worlds, I still feel something from those. And I don't necessarily feel something from Wes Anderson's movies. But this one was different. I think that what 
really was hard for me when I first watched it is that it is this meta narrative, which is kind of difficult to wrap your head around when you're first watching it. So Asteroid City has three stories that are running parallel to each other throughout the movie. You have a story of Conrad Earp, who's this playwright who is played by Edward Norton. These scenes are black and white. They're shot in Academy ratio. You have the actors who are playing characters in Conrad Earp's play. These scenes are also in black and white. And Adrian Brody, he plays this director, this theater director who feels sort of like an e- a riff on Elia Kazan. And then you have the story of the literal Asteroid City play. And these scenes are beautiful. They're shot in color. We have these gorgeous matte pastels that create this beautiful Western 50s world. I think that this part of the story, the play itself, is the easiest to follow. But having these three parallel stories, I think, can make it feel difficult. And it's very elaborate. So people who think maybe that the French Dispatch was elaborate in its structure might feel that again here. I liked that. I think because it feels very, very literary and I love films like that just because, you know, I was an English major. I'm a big nerd when it just comes to observing structure of a story. And I think that this story is one of his most inventive screenplays for sure. And I think that, you know, here too, because of these three parallel stories and what the play Asteroid City is about, the lines between what's real and what's fiction are constantly blurred. And I thought that was just a very smart way to tell this story. And it's something that has stuck with me, I think, for days because it is... It's a meditation on grief and technology and where we're going in the world and who we are and how we, you know, contemplate the unknown. It's a little discombobulating, but it's also really beautiful, I think. I did love the visuals. I think the production design is just incredible by Adam Mm -hmm. Stockhausen. And I really like the score, too. Wes and Alexander Desplat, frequent collaborators and... I feel like every year I want him to get in for it, but I think there's definitely potential this year. And I know I also joked about original song. How did you feel about that tune and how it played in the movie? I loved that. So I think the original song comes about because just going into the story a little bit, one of the things about the movie that I think can be a little difficult is that this ensemble is so big that it's sort of, It feels sometimes a little thin in its characterizations. I think you get to know so many characters loosely because they're shown like every 30 seconds. So I think it's kind of difficult to adjust to. Some directors are more successful with ensemble films than others. I think, you know, I don't think this lived up to the the Altman territory for me, but I think he did a pretty good job with it. But the different stories themselves, we have... The Steenbeck family, they're the most prominent. That's Jason Schwartzman's character, Augie. And he's traveling on a road trip with his son, Woodrow, who is this brainiac genius kid who is going here for the Stargazer convention. And these three daughters, who were actually my favorite part of the movie, I thought they were so cute. 
these little like Macbeth witches. One is like a vampire, one's a witch, one's a fairy. And they're just, they're really cute. And again, thinking about Wes Anderson giving up that control a little bit and making it feel a little bit more organic in the storytelling. I think that these girls added a whimsy and a playfulness that didn't feel overly curated to me. So I loved them. And then we have this science program, which is run by the government. We have the science kids who are there for the competition. We have a group of kids who are there for field trips and their teacher is Maya Hawk. (laughs) And that is how the song comes about. It's through these kids that are on their field Mm -hmm. trip. So if you're already having a hard time following as I'm (laughs) describing it, I think it can feel a little convoluted sometimes, but I I think it's just so easy to get sucked into the world that it doesn't, it didn't necessarily matter as much to me, but yeah, I thought the song was really fun. And I agree with you about the Desplat score. I loved the freight train needle drop too. It made me weirdly emotional and nostalgic. So yeah, I think that the way that he uses music in the movie is really, really smart. Mm Mm-hmm. But then you also have, I mean, there are just so many different characters. Tilda Swinton plays a scientist. You have Steve Carell, who tries to sell land through vending machines, and they have vending machines with martinis. Tom Hanks plays Augie's father-in-law. And one of the plot points in the movie is that Augie's wife passed away, and they have her ashes in Tupperware. It's, again, it's it's just a wild story. But I liked all of the little details that were there. This is also the best Tom Hanks has been in a really long time, in my opinion. You might disagree. <laughs> he has more of a supporting performance than he usually does because he's Tom Hanks. And I yeah. still feel like he's a stand-in for Bill Murray because Bill had COVID at the time and couldn't perform. And I feel like his look here is so similar to how Wes would dress Bill. And I don't know if that's the case, but I definitely see some of those movements and acting styles blur together between Mm -hmm. Bill and Tom. I didn't dislike him. You explaining all of this, it's just like this movie is 100 minutes and this all has to happen with 30 or so A-list actors. Like, they just Mm -hmm. don't get the screen time that they need or probably want. But it's Wes Anderson, and that's why they're here. So to me, it was harder, and I think that's definitely a reason why, to get to know the characters, to really identify with them. And there are just, like you mentioned, three layers of characters, too. So there's a Mm -hmm. meta aspect, and Brian Cranston is the narrator, and seeing them weave together and figure out where you are, it was just a little bit off-putting. And trying to understand this through reading reviews, every single time my eyes just kind of glaze, started to glaze over. Even though they were all saying very literary things and analytical things, it was just like, okay, you got to get to a a point. Like, I really do need the dumbed-down version of (laughs) what all this means because obviously when you're watching you know there's grief and Augie is going through this really hard time and he hasn't told his kids that the wife has passed away even yet so Mm -hmm. there's a lot happening and so Augie is also 
taking out or understanding his grief in this somewhat of a relationship with Scarlett Johansson and Mm -hmm. he's photographing her and we get this question of why does he burn his hand on a waffle maker (laughs) to me it was just it was a lot it was too extravagantly (laughs) indulgent to me and I'm kind of off the west wagon now yeah and there is this it's kind of a love it or hate it (laughs) we need him to have an illustration like that that's just some like beautifully detailed intricate wagon that just says the west wagon on it well we can make it and we can we can make exactly exactly (laughs) stick it to your dishwasher there are a lot of love it or hate it reviews too Mm -hmm. and not that I totally identify with this one from Jessica Kiang from Film Comment, but I thought it was uh-huh. like really funny and I'm not trying to like fight you on this, but oh, no, she talks okay. about I mean it's <laughs> I don't think it's a perfect movie by any chance. It just kind of has won me over in the way that I'm thinking about it in retrospect. That mm-hmm. makes me want to see it again to see if it works better for me in the theater this time because I had a similar thing happen to me watching this that happened when I watched Avatar The Way of Water, which is that some of the images were just so beautiful and dazzling that I cannot tell you what the characters were saying because Mm -hmm. I was like, Ooh, look at, look at that. Like, look at that little bird that's walking around like a marionette. (laughs) And then a character is speaking, and I'm like, wait, what did they say? <laughs> I missed that altogether. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm open to the criticism on the movie. I, I won't take it personally. It was just so funny how negative she is on this. Like, she talks about uh-huh. the overstuffed A-plus Lister cast. Yeah. And she just has two wonderful sentences that rip it to shreds, but... She goes, the narrative is also constructed in a laboriously oblique way with framing devices, framing other framing devices, and so on. The actual Mm -hmm. heart of the story is placed so far away, it's like we're looking at it through the wrong end of a telescope. This makes Asteroid City so much work for so little appreciable reward that I sat there horrified, suddenly wondering if this is what people who don't like Wes Anderson movies have always seen when watching Wes Anderson movies. I don't think that's wrong. Like, I think that, again, like, the the framing devices themselves are really difficult and convoluted sometimes. I think that I like what it brought up in me as I started thinking more about the movie and how it was put together. That I thought was Mm -hmm. just intriguing and something that I hadn't necessarily seen before. And I also will tell you that the black and white scenes... The visuals, again, like the the black and white, I haven't seen a look like that in a movie that feels so much like old Hollywood mm-hmm. and that time that I was just really won over by it. And same with the, with the 50s, you know, Asteroid City construction. It reminded me of, you know, like Johnny Guitar or these types of movies that I really like. And because of that, I think I was kinder to it there are other elements to this movie too that it doesn't even address like the year it takes place is 55 which is when james dean died so i think it's a wonderful period piece for others who maybe understand the time more or the aspects of the movie i mean saying period piece that kind of makes sense for me in a way (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i think it's definitely more complex 
in a lot of ways than what Wes has done recently, for sure. Yeah. So the things that have been just percolating for me after seeing this, and I won't bore you with too many of these, but just things, you know, for our listeners who maybe saw the movie or are going to see it, these are the things I'm left thinking about. I think the typical things that Wes Anderson loves to put in his movies, frayed domestic bonds and Dickensian children. He loves orphans or he loves children who have experienced the loss of at least one parent. And that is back here. He also, his attention to detail with model spaces. I think sometimes, actually, I think frequently his sets look like dioramas. And here, I think he he plays with that by creating these meta worlds and spaces that are both real and unreal at the same time. So I think Mm -hmm. that I, I really liked that. And I liked all of his autobiographical commentary or his maybe not autobiographical, but the way that he thinks of himself maybe as a director or of artists and the work that they do the for better or for worse. So like with the Scarlett Johansson character, there's a moment when Augie takes a picture of her and she is posed very similarly to this photo that he captures of the alien. And it just, it gets you know, into your head a little bit of thinking about how we're all kind of looking for explanation. And sometimes we all feel maybe out of place or like we are, you know, we don't belong in a particular place. I also love how, you know, Augie is a war photographer and there's a moment when he has a comment about asking for permission before shooting and how he never had to ask for permission to take pictures before. And it made me think a lot about The Eternal Daughter last year, the Joanna Hogg movie, and how she had this inner conflict around ownership with film and with art and what and how you could tell other people's stories and how that really worked worked its way into her brain and made her feel self-conscious about filming her mother and telling her mother's story. I think you could make the comparison to The Fablemans last year as well. Um, but I, I loved little things like that, that just made me think more, but I agree. I think as a film itself, people are going to be very hot or cold on this because it doesn't really offer any easy answers. And again, the way in can sometimes feel like a maze, (laughs) like framing devices Mm -hmm. with framing devices with framing devices. I think it's hard to feel a connection to that and to feel like that's something that you can actually, you know, hand yourself over to while you're watching this movie. So I get it. I think people are going to, again, be all over the map with this one. So do you think this movie has Oscar potential? I think with some of those technical elements, maybe, or at least would show up on a short list. And we did just get box office numbers recently saying this was the best limited opening since La La Land which obviously was a big Oscar film, but I have a feeling that it's just not going to take over like Mm -hmm. that did. Yeah. It was also a later release, and yes, release time isn't maybe as much of a thing anymore, but I still don't know if it can hold over in Academy voters until next January or February. Yeah, I think it's it's tricky because, I mean, the Grand Budapest Hotel did really well with the Academy. It got nine nominations and won four Oscars. 
But otherwise, his movies don't do that well with the Academy. The French Dispatch was completely shut out, like not even production design. And the production design in that movie I thought was amazing. Mm -hmm. So it's, I mean, it's very typical Wes Anderson production design in a lot of ways. It's what you come to expect from his movies. But I, I mean, I thought that would get in, but that just came and went. I think this one though, it is getting better reviews. It's doing well at the box office. So it's, it's really possible. I think that, it could get a couple of technical nominations, but I think as a movie, it's like we were talking about. It's not a simple story. It is not straightforward. And I think it's going to be pretty polarizing, even though it has had more positive reviews than the French Dispatch did or Isle of Dogs, his other recent release. So yeah, I think I can see a few maybe here or there, but nothing like picture or screenplay necessarily. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite seeing those getting in. So if you could give this movie one Oscar, what would it be? I would give Adrian Brody an honorary award for appearing and making me gasp with how great he looked. There isn't an Oscar category for that though. Sadly, he'll just be on our 2023 hottest characters list for me. <laughs> but I think I have to go with production design for Adam Stockhausen I was just so delighted by the production design and in all three of the parallel stories. I especially, though, loved the construction of Asteroid City. It was just so, so playful and fun and still surprising, even though it is signature Wes Anderson. What about you? Yeah, it's also the production design for me. That first shot of the color universe of Asteroid City that you get to see is just so Mm -hmm. stunning. And that's in part due to the oversaturation and how he shoots the city but it's definitely the design it's what really kept me going throughout my viewing experience and i think what dazzles anybody going to a wes anderson movie okay under our last picture we'll be talking about past lives we saved the best for last (laughs) we surely did my god i could talk about this for hours the description here Nora and Sung, two deeply connected childhood friends, are rest apart after Nora's family emigrates from South Korea. Decades later, they are reunited for one fateful week as they confront destiny, love, and the choices that make a life. This was directed by Celine Song. It stars Greta Lee, Tao Yu, and John Magaro. So this premiered at Sundance and kind of shocked me when it didn't win the Audience Award. Because of all of the rave reviews coming out of that festival every screening. So we've kind of mentioned this movie before, but what do you think of Past Lives? I love this movie. It's my favorite movie of 2023 so far. I just found it to be incredibly romantic. It's delicate, yet potent, and absolutely colossal for a movie that feels I think on paper like a small independent movie and I know you know Kelly Reichert she always pushes back when people call movies small because when they're good they're anything but small they can feel just as big as your epic adventure or war film and I think past lives definitely does that I think that the performances are just they're amazing. What Greta Lee is able to do in every single 
scene in this movie is brilliant. I love her facial expressions and how she can communicate so much with just a look to another character or a moment with her body language, how she approaches a character, how she will withhold. It's, it's fascinating. It's, you don't see many movies like this to me in a lot of ways, it did feel like a piece of theater which makes sense given that Celine's song is a playwright and this is her first feature film, but it also felt cinematic. It felt like it warranted its place on film because you can see time differently and the passage of time in a way that you can't necessarily see on stage. And I think Celine's song understood that and played with time and the passage of time in such effective, just gut-wrenching ways. So I've seen this movie twice now. I'm definitely going to go again and cry again. But there are just certain details that you pick up on that feel very powerful to the characters. And it can be something so simple. And that's what I really, really love about this movie. I know you love it too, though. What do you love about it? There's just so much to love. It's bold and poetic and every element has a place I do really think it's cinematic too because I love that we get to see these spaces and what they mean to the characters. We start in South Korea and then we eventually move to New York City and we get to see parts of Seoul and Montauk as well. But it's the way they interact and how she has them on Skype and it just becomes this big nostalgia piece and it evolves in so many ways and eventually it's about the one that got away, but also how you change over time and who you were as a kid is still with you, but also not. And I love how she starts the movie in the bar Mm -hmm. from this outsider perspective and Nora breaks the fourth wall in this very stage-like way. Mm -hmm. And so then we're trying to understand who these people are and we go back to seeing them as kids which immediately made me cry when they were on their so-called date and their moms Mm -hmm. were talking and these pieces of art around them there's a scene there where they're playing with these heads that are facing each other and there are different fragments that they're filling in playing in them and then later on in the movie when they're grown up we're in New York City and we see this other statue this mural of two angels i believe facing away and it just kind of mirrors and plays as a metaphor for who they are now and oh there are just so many other facets that Mm -hmm. i just i was tears the entire time i don't think i had cried so much in a movie maybe ever it was just singular shots that will stick with me but also passages of dialogue I think the final like 30 minutes is just the most impressively written script ever just the way it's composed and how it reveals so much about who these characters are and really about Song herself because this is somewhat autobiographical so it's really getting to see them open up and break down in different ways that is just so cathartic yeah 
it's hard to talk about because it feels so personal. It feels like, I don't know, there was a, a moment I had watching this that was really similar to something I felt when I watched Mia Hansen Love's Bergman Island, where I just sort of felt like I was watching something I shouldn't be watching because it was her life in a way that I haven't really seen a director do before. And I know that sounds like very hyperbolic, but we get so many films from directors that are their personal stories and they, you know, they work to varying extents, but this one just, it felt so personal to her, but it also felt like it felt personal to me in a way. It felt personal, I think, to a lot of people watching because not every facet of her story is a universal experience. There are little nuggets within that, I don't know where I just, I felt very seen and understood. And that's just, it's not something that happens frequently when you watch films, especially for me, not new releases. I feel Mm -hmm. that a lot of times when I go back and watch these like sweeping romances and I feel like she just, she achieved something that I, I'm just really impressed too, that this was her directorial debut. Oh, absolutely. It really is just such a smash the entire time. It will be out wide as this episode airs. So Mm -hmm. hopefully it's in your city or coming to your city soon. So everybody can see this. I was really worried because of those rave reviews and with it being potentially overhyped. So I went Mm -hmm. in very cautious, but I was immediately swept away. So I highly recommend this for everybody. I think there's a way that she really does make the immigrant experience either universal or empathetic in some way that you can identify with any of these characters. Yeah, I, I think too, it, it like the movie itself, what I keep coming back to is I think it, it addresses or questions like what it means to really, truly know someone. Like that is a very like bold question I think you can try to answer it in really simple ways like yeah I you know I know this person because we've been friends for x amount of years or we've been married for this long but what does it truly mean to know someone and what does it truly mean to know someone in a particular point in their life and how can that change over time for a person and that just that's again just like a very delicate yet powerful thing. It reminded me a lot of Brief Encounter, the David Lean film that I really love. But yeah, I think also just like you mentioned with the beginning, opening with that observation of the three of them before you know anything about these characters. It's something that I do. I feel like when I go out all the time, I'm like, oh, what date is this couple on? You know, like, is it a first date? Have they been together for a while? Or, you know, how do these people know each other? What is their relation to each other? New York is a great city for people watching. (laughs) And (laughs) this movie opens with that and the idea of that. And I think that's very clever. And jumping back to when they were kids and how their relationship is just so sweet. When they're kids, it's nothing. It doesn't feel any more or less significant than it should. It just feels like the type of cute crush relationship you have when you're 12, when you're that age. And then what immigrating to Canada 
first and then later to New York for Nora, what that ends up meaning to her and how it affects the decisions that she makes in the future. And I think just from the trailer alone and from, you know, what I had heard about the plot and about the story, I wondered if it would just be childhood and then present day. But I think it's really crucial that we have that segment in the middle, 12 years after when they were kids, when Nora has just gotten to New York and is experiencing this new city. Because at this point, we're seeing her on her second immigration experience. She's gone to you know, a new country, a new school, because she wants to be a playwright. And that's like her next adventure, her next part of her life. And so... I cried when she's FaceTiming her mom and just how they're going through different people that they know from home on Facebook. That's again, (laughs) also a very relatable experience and how what I loved about that moment is that she doesn't remember Sung's name and just the idea that she had a point in her life where she had forgotten him because by the end of the film, you know, that that just feels like something that never could have happened. And like, she's never going to forget him now. But that moment is just like those, those little moments that happen like by chance in life or, you know, Inyun as they call it in the movie and your connections to people are just, are so important. So that little moment I thought it was like, it was really, really beautiful. And it made me, yeah, it made me think a lot about that. I think in how we get to see the perspective of so many characters too is why I really love it when they're kids, the mom sets up this date and she tells Hayson's mom, like, I want her to have good memories. Mm-hmm. And even that line just really hit me because I feel like in another movie, Nora as a teen would have just hated that or hated her mom or had other feelings about it than she did. And then later on, we get to see Sung's perspective from Seoul and him with his friends. But then we also get to hear from Arthur and mm-hmm. how he feels about both of these characters. And they're just visual marks along the way of either parallels or just how things change also in the script that feel really real and, mm-hmm. and are just relatable on a different level, too. Yeah, and I I like how we get to see Sung in Korea, like still living with his parents and going out with his friends and just the hold that Nora still has over him, but yet they live completely different lives and how that's really important to the story too. And Mm -hmm. I also like how we see, as we get the second time jump, 12 years in the future after Nora and Arthur meet at the artist retreat in Montauk, we find out that they're married and I like that they have like a pretty loving relationship. They're good together and they make sense together. And I like that the story itself didn't make it out to be, you know, she married the wrong guy and, you know, Sung was totally the one that, got away you know it's just a very I think adult way to look at how relationships over time can change and you can have I've brought this up before like you can have more than one love in your life 
And this film, I think, really gets into that in cool ways. And I, I like that Arthur, John Magaro is wonderful in this movie. And I like the scene when they're in bed together in their apartment. And he just kind of says, like, if you would have met a different guy at the same time as me, who, you know, had the same taste in movies and read the same books, like, you would be with him right now and not with me. She says back to him, I can't remember the exact line, but something along the effects of, like, no, like, I have chosen you. Like, this is my life. I am with you. And it's just, I don't know. I feel like she, throughout the movie, Celine Song does a great job of giving Nora control over her situations, which makes the later scenes in the movie where she doesn't know what she's feeling necessarily, it makes them stronger, I think. This movie's also funny. It's not just like a weepy, sweeping mm-hmm. romance. It has good comedic moments, too. The characters are all just, they're really likable in different ways, but also like very realistic in how they process their emotions and the other characters in the story. This is also a perfect New York movie. Mm-hmm. I cried when she was in the cab looking at the skyline. It was so embarrassing. Well, that's one of those parallels. We get so many shots of these characters in cars looking out the window. And it's just a really important moment for her Mm -hmm. and in where she is and what she's about to do and see. Yeah. I don't think it's embarrassing. Again, I cried. It's embarrassing because I was crying too. (laughs) I literally cried so much. I was so happy I went alone the first time. Oh, my God. Yeah. Tao Yu, who plays Sung, what a strong, like, sensitive, sweet man. I just thought he was, like, perfect casting for him and, like, this character. And I just, you feel for him. I mean, he breaks your heart throughout this movie. Yeah, there are lines of dialogue that Norris says based on their interactions together that really surprised me. But, you know, seeing his joy over Skype and in rekindling this friendship was just really beautiful and seeing them being silly and staying up late, not eating dinner until 12. Like that's also very relatable New York. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, Oh, I haven't eaten yet. I promise I'll eat at 11 PM. (laughs) (laughs) It's so sweet to see them chatting together because they do feel like a match made in heaven. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't want to spoil this movie at all. Like, I don't think we should discuss the ending. I think we can maybe, Talk about it at a later date or listeners, if you have thoughts on the ending, let us know. But I think the way that this film unfolds, she really stuck a difficult ending. One that I think throughout the film, you're just kind of wondering how it's going to end. And it hits you in a really, really surprising way. I'll just say that. It's a it's a beautiful, perfect ending for the film. It takes your breath away. It did for me. Yeah, it was really beautiful reading an interview where she explained that she really needed this final shot to be a long take, this long dolly take, and it had to work. There was no way it couldn't, but there were so many variables to make it not work. And hearing the behind the scenes of it was kind of funny thinking that they were shooting the next Spider-Man movie. But yeah, I really don't want to spoil anything about this movie Every single moment took my breath away, and I hope it does for you, too. So we talked about past lives a bit on our early Oscar predictions episode. Do you think this has Oscar potential? 
And maybe what are some categories that you wish it could be nominated in? <laughs> Everything. Um, mm-hmm. No, I, re- I really do think it has potential, especially with A24 behind it. I might be weary to put it in for acting despite how well they did last year, but I think there's even potential there. I think first and foremost would be screenplay and even director and picture. I think they're really big deserving categories, but also other technical ones like score that really swept me off my feet the entire time and how subtle yet moving it was. Yeah. I love the score. So the score is it's composed by Christopher Bear and Daniel Rosen. They are both of the indie band Grizzly Bear. And I really like that band. So I was excited that they were doing this score. It's really cool. The score also reminded me of the sad song from About Time. Oh my god. Which also just <laughs> destroys you, but yeah. yeah, definitely has a similar vibe there. Do you have other categories that you think it should show up in? I think you're right. Like picture, director, screenplay, those all seem possible. Acting, the performances are wonderful. I love them all. I mentioned the production design last time on... Mm-hmm. Our early Oscar predictions episode by Grace Yoon. I feel like the way that she decorates and designs these different spaces in both Seoul and New York City and Montauk are just, v- they're very indicative of where the characters are um, in their lives. And it's just, again, they feel very lived in and real. I also have to say that I'm obsessed with the costumes. Specifically, everything that Nora wears. The costumes are by Katina Danabasis. Let me tell you, (laughs) the Annie Hall to Lydia Tarr to Nora style influence pipeline is very real for me. I added her to my list of great movie women who wear (laughs) incredible clothes that I want to emulate in my everyday wardrobe. So, yes, love the costume design. It's an incredible film, and I think it deserves recognition in so many places. But yeah, I think I'm hopeful, at least, that it can get into those big categories, especially a picture, because there's room, for sure, with 10 nominees. And a thing about the costumes, the friend I went with the second time was like, oh my god, the red that Nora had, and the blue of Sung, which kind of stuck with me, and the next time I see it, I really need to focus on the colors, but the blue of the garage at the end, I was like, oh my gosh, like that Mm -hmm. definitely sticks out too. So yeah, I think the production design and the costumes, like again, I think every image and set piece like has a place in this movie for a reason. So I love all of its aspects. So if you could give this movie one Oscar, what would it be? It's hard because we love so many categories, but I think I would say best original screenplay for Celine Song. The writing in this movie is immaculate. It is, Mm -hmm. it's so good. I just think about key lines in the film and how clever it is. There's a way that see you then as a line is used that just destroyed me. But screenplay, like it's more than just dialogue, it's structure. And here, I mean, we have sort of the, antithesis of asteroid city with three (laughs) three different framing Mm -hmm. narratives here throughout the story 
And I feel like they're just, they're very smart. And I, I love what she does here. What about you? To me, this is one of those rare picture awards. I would be so happy if this one picture, but I will award Celine Song Best Director. Love the screenplay. And I think just adjacent to that is how she directs the film and finds the right beat and knew how to direct her cast and all of these members that it really comes together so fluidly. Yeah, I feel like you can feel her handprint on every second of this movie, and that's just why you feel a big hug the entire time and can relate with this story she's telling us so vibrantly. I completely agree. I think that's a great pick. So Asteroid City and Past Lives just went wide today. So go see them. Let us know what you think. I think based on what we've gotten this summer so far, I am very excited for for the year ahead. I think we have some good ones coming and I'm excited for our next current release episode because it will be time for Oppenheimer and Barbie. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The day is coming. We're now under a month away. Are you doing Barbie or Oppenheimer first? I want to do Oppenheimer first. Mm -hmm. I think I'm sticking with that. I think that's the right way to do it, though. Dinner and then dessert. (laughs) (laughs) But next time on Oscar Wilde, we'll be going back into the past, celebrating cancer season. We are both cancers. And my 30th birthday. So I share a birthday with the great Billy Wilder. So we will be doing a little Billy Wilder celebration. We'll be talking about Sabrina and the apartment. We've previously talked about Double Indemnity and Sunset Boulevard, so go check that out as well. But I'm excited to talk about these two. He's one of my favorites, and not just because we were both born on June 22nd. Yeah, I think this is a great way to continue talking about Billy Wilder, to celebrate your 30th like we did mine a few years ago. And I cannot wait, because yeah, these are wonderful films with great casts so i'm excited to chat about these thank you all for listening if you like our show feel free to rate review and follow you can find us on instagram twitter and tiktok now at oscar oh wild pod <laughs> <laughs> i can't wait to make my fun film book tiktoks we'll we'll do some fun videos there with some recommendations but yeah, follow us there. You can find bonus content on patreon.com slash Oscar Wilde. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye.